It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome to the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition presented by Ryan Kiefer of Prime Lending. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Broering. It's the post-wedding and honeymoon edition. Rick, how did things go? It was great. Uh, I appreciate everybody that showed up. Weddings are a weird thing because you get to see like all of your favorite people for about two and a half minutes and you don't exactly really right. spend any time with any of them. And uh, that's, that's how it went. It, the uh, was very me, good. That, the honeymoon was that, good too. That, yeah, that was very good. That was actually a very nice place. It was held at the center uh, downtown. I'd never heard of it before, um, but all inclusive, the wedding and then the reception, a little cocktail hour, cocktail hour mixed in while they set up from where the wedding was into a dinner. I, I thought that place was great. Yeah. It was, it's the old uh, contemporary arts museum. So if people are familiar okay. with that, that's uh, that's what it used to be. But yeah, it, it was a cool spot. And uh, shout out to my now father-in-law because I didn't pay for it. There you go. Very good. Very, very good. We got a lot to get to. There is a lot to talk about. And we'll start with the Bengals because while I was gone, they had a draft. I certainly didn't miss anything with the Reds. So we'll start with the Bengals. And it was a defensive-minded draft for the Bengals last weekend. As five of their six selections came on that side of the ball, they went safety, defensive back, defensive lineman with their first three picks before taking a guard on the offensive line, and then another safety and an edge rusher to wrap up the draft. Skinny, which pick did you like the most? Uh, of all of them, I, 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 the guy that intrigues me the most is the fifth-round pick, the safety Tyson Anderson from Toledo. He just he runs a sub-4-4-40. Four, four, He's built like a safety but runs like a corner. The, the college productivity didn't completely match. Um, but just the athleticism, the chance to range side to side, the fact he can cover some slot guys, um, that sounds a lot like the first round pick Dax Hill and obviously Dax is rated higher. So that, that should probably be more intriguing to me, but this kid just intrigues me because he's got that safety body and runs like a corner and can play all special teams. Um, I, I thought they did a great job overall, but that's the one when, when you're picking one that intrigues me the most, he intrigues me the most. Which pick did you question the most? I question. Yeah, I question the Connor Volson pick in the fourth round, the offensive lineman, more than any others. Um, he played right tackle. He played a lot of football. He played 67 college games because of an extra COVID year and, and all of that. So he played a bunch of college football. Uh, started primarily at right tackle, played a couple of games at right guard, um, played left guard some when they went to an unbalanced line. And then, and I asked you know, Frank I asked Frank, Frank Pollock that, and uh, he said he thinks he's actually going to be more comfortable at left guard they, they see more guard traits in him than anything else um and there were some other, other players on the board you know Kentucky's Darian Kennard who I love a lot is a right tackle that's going to likely be converted to guard um although he can also play right tackle um I thought he provided some pretty good value there he didn't go until the fifth round a handful of picks later um but yeah that's the one to me I, I, I'm going to trust Frank Pollock's judgment here um and, and kind of leave it at that but that, that's the one to me that I'm thinking, right, you're going to take a smaller college right tackle and make him an NFL left guard. Um, okay, if you see the traits, great. Um, it also tells me that they're trying to push Jackson Carmen, and obviously that story came out in the defector about Jackson Carmen and perhaps a little bit of a, of a CD pass at, at Clemson, whether it's true or not. Um, but I think it's also a push to say, listen, guy, uh, you didn't come ready to play football last year. You better come ready to play football this year because we've got a replacement for you. Well, and Cordell Volson, the lineman from North Dakota State that you're referencing, the Bengals took him with pick 136 in the draft. He was slotted by most projections around like 250-ish. 
by, by most of the projections. So he, he ended up being, according to the people that do the, the value in terms of how far off you were of your actual slot where you were selected, he was the fifth worst pick in the draft by that criteria. So yeah, it, a lot but, of people but, didn't like that pick. Right, but mo- most of the people that are rating him, <laughs> excuse me, were rating him more as a tackle. And so I, I guess if, they, you know, if, if that's the case, then that's fine. But the Bengals see him as a guard. Maybe they see something that others don't. Well, it, they better. Doesn't that ever give you... <laughs> I mean, does that ever bother you a little bit that the Bengals are always seeing something that no one else sees in players um, when they draft them? Yeah, the only thing I'm going to say is this this current crop of got people evaluating, and, and now that Frank Pollock's the offensive line coach, I'm I'm going to defer to his judgment on this one. Um, but it, it absolutely opens the door to questioning things moving forward if this doesn't work out. There's no doubt about that. Let me ask you about just the offensive line in general, were the Bengals right to ignore the offensive line until the fourth round? Do you feel like they did enough in the offseason through free agency that it really wasn't a concern in the draft that they, they didn't have to find an impact guy in the first couple of picks? Yeah, I, I, that didn't bother me at all. I didn't I didn't really have them. I had them in a couple of mocks taking a tackle in the fourth round. I still think they're thin at that position. I mean, I guess in theory, Volson does, you know, he has played a lot of tackle. Um, you know, right now Isaiah Prince is really the only other tackle on the roster besides Lyle Collins and um, and Jonah Williams. So that that bugs me a little bit, and maybe we'll see them bring another tackle, a veteran tackle, into camp when, when the dust kind of settles. I think we're going to go through another round across the league of some free agency signings. Um, not a ton. There's still some really good players out there, actually, but I, I think they'll probably go that route. And if that's the case, I'm I'm more than okay with it. I, again, I'm I'm the guy that's been screaming about take proven NFL tape over draft picks, and and I think that's where they're I think that's the direction they're starting to head. Is uh, you know, hey, you're going to take some guys. You have to. You got to fill out a roster and take kind of flyers on guys. And I think that's what they did here in the fourth round. It's not like they have to have Connor Volson start if, if or Cordell Volson start if Cordell Volson comes in and wins the job. Well, then you made a hell of a pick. If he doesn't, he's a fourth round pick who can back up in a bunch of different places. I'm good with that. I want to come back to the offensive line here in a second and talk about Jackson Carmen, but the overall draft, what was your grade? What did you think of it as a whole? I gave it a B, and I think that's probably fair. I, I, I still wish they'd have found a spot to take a wide receiver. I'm a little surprised they didn't. Um, but overall, I I think the great part of this draft was them making preemptive strikes for, for the future while adding quality depth for the now, and especially in – especially in the secondary where you just can't have enough good players. And I think you saw the league this year kind of mimic the Bengals from last year where Jamar Chase came in as a high draft pick and set the league on fire. And I think the league realized, well, I'll tell you what, if you can get a high-flying wide receiver, it just changes every dynamic of your offense. You don't even need a good offensive line. And look at all the moves that were made for wide receivers this offseason, Rick, before the draft. And then on draft night, we have – Hollywood Brown traded. We have A.J. Brown traded. We have a bunch of wide receivers come off the board. Well, with all these quality wide receivers being moved around and coming into the league over the last few years, you know what you got to have on the other side of the ball? You better have dudes that can cover those guys. And I think the Bengals have said, listen, we're not going to have a fall off in depth in our secondary. If somebody gets hurt, we've got dudes who can play. And I think it's a smart move. I do. And it also gives you the chance now that if things just don't work out with Jesse Bates, which I don't think they're going to, and you decide not to re-sign Von Bell, which I think they're going to try to do. I, I don't think they're going to let both walk and come away completely empty-handed. But you now have Dax Hill to slide in. You now have Tyson Anderson to maybe slide in. So I, I think all those things are smart. 
the one word that popped up a lot when people were talking about the Bengals draft, and I'm talking about you know media members, draft analysts, what have you, was versatility. Yep. I will say I'm someone that when it comes to the NFL players, I do not care about versatility at all. I want a guy who's really good at his position. I don't need a guy that can play multiple spots because how many guys in the NFL are good at multiple spots, to be honest? Like, if you're a great linebacker or you're a great safety, just be that. I don't need you to move to multiple spots. Take me through why it's it's valuable in this case with Dax Hill. Yeah, because it it allows you, if you want to play a a, a six-defensive-back package, Teams then can't all of a sudden go, all right, we're going we're gonna to put three receivers out there. We're going to leave our tight end on the field, and then we're going to run it downhill at you. And because you're so small, you can't tackle. Well, Von Bell's really a pseudo linebacker who plays safety. That's versatility. He's a safety, but he also plays with linebacker skills. Then if you have a, tight, or have a Dax Hill on the field and you say, we only have one linebacker, and we kind of want him in the middle. We kind of want him to play the middle zone. Who's going to cover the tight end, Travis Kelsey, in the slot? Oh, Dax Hill. Travis Kelsey runs like a wide receiver, so you better have a guy with corner skills, but you also better have a guy who's got enough size as a safety to do it. That's what we're talking about with versatility. We're talking about guys who who have the versatility to do multiple things. Maybe not play multiple positions, but do multiple things. And um, Yeah, to think- me, that, that's not versatility. To me, that's a guy with multiple skills, a good skill set. Like, when people say versatility, to me, that means they can play multiple spots. And I, I don't think that matters in football nearly as much as it does, like, where you say a basketball player is versatile, right? Like, oh, he can handle the ball for you, and he can guard a forward, something like that. In the NFL, I just don't think that plays out the same way. But I... With Dax Hill and the the secondary, I kind of get where you're coming from in the sense that he can defend multiple guys. He can guard a tight end. He can tackle in the run game. He can be an extra cornerback if you need. I get where you're coming from on that. Yeah, and, and the same thing, um, you know, with with a backup offensive lineman. If Volson does not win the, the starting job, you know, you only can carry really eight eight offensive linemen on a game day. And so one of those is usually a guy who's a center guard. One of those is usually a guy who's the swing tackle. And then the other guy better have guard tackle uh, versatility to be able to play those spots. And I think that's that's the versatility we're talking about with a guy like that, which is important. Well, and the, and the Bengals never draft a guard anyways. They're just perpetually drafting tackles that they're going to bump to guard. So uh, I, don't, I don't know if the Bengals actually realize that guards exist in the college game. <laughs> They, they don't uh, want to pay them, that's for sure. No doubt. Jackson Carmen, the story gets brought up that he has been accused of rape from his time at Clemson. Um, and there's a lot of question about what the Bengals knew when they drafted him, how much they knew, all of that stuff. Zach Taylor essentially said on the night of the, the first night of the draft that he's aware of the story. He's not going to talk about it, I guess, or he doesn't want to talk about it. And then it just kind of disappeared from the local media, are you surprised that this isn't being talked about it? Or are you surprised more people aren't digging into this? Where, where does the Jackson Carmen thing stand in your opinion? Yeah, I, I don't know what there is to dig into. There's no police report. No police report was ever filed. Um, the story is out there. No one has denounced the story. Um, you know, Jackson Carmen, in theory, if this wasn't a true story, could, could certainly sue. Um, I, I think it does put the Bengals in a pickle. I think their whole thing is going to be um, – Hey, listen, we know it's there. They, they admitted that they know the story's there, so they're, they're aware of the story. Uh, the question is, when did they know? They're, they're, they've, they've no comment at that. That actually was a follow-up question late in the in the press conference on Thursday. Uh, to give credit where it's due, Ben Baby from ESPN just asked, I, I know you, you said you're not going to comment on it, but when did you know or did you know? And again, he got no commented. 
Um, and, and I think that's where we're at with this until we get around Jackson Carmen and ask him. And we're going to probably get no comment there. The interesting part is in that story, um, it said that at his pro day, one of his his handlers announced, hey, this this there, there is a thing out there. We just want you to know this. Well, um, it, it, it seems awful interesting if the Bengals didn't know how they somehow traded down in that round, knowing that nobody else is going to take Jackson Carmen. And they may have known that because nobody else had him rated highly as a player or that high as a player. Or maybe they realized teams aren't going to touch him because of this. We'll go get him. Um, if that's the case, shame on them. Um, because at the very least, whether it's a he said, she said of, of rape, the bottom line is um, she was 15 at the time. So whether he raped her or not is is inconsequential. It's statutory rape at that point. And yeah, so for me, and if he's I'm the saying Bengals, he did have consensual right. sex. That's what he said. Well, so he, he said it's not. He's an not saying story. it. He said it. Right. Correct. Correct. So we're in the he said, she said category. But even if he did have sexual relations with it, whether it is statutory rape. And at that point, if the Bengals even knew that shame on them across the board. Shame on them. And honestly, at this point, with this coming out, I don't think they're going to do this, but in my opinion, they should just cut him. Just be done with it. I mean, just what a disastrous pick from the start. Yep. I, like, I don't know how they continue to find themselves in these situations with players that clearly weren't going to get drafted where they decided to take them. Marcus Hunt, I mean, obviously completely different situations, but right, right. you start going back, Cedric O'Boy, like these guys that no one else were going to take where the Bengals took them, and it just turns into exactly what you'd expect, which is a complete flop. And in the Jackson Carmen case, not only was he a project on the field and they were trying to change positions, not only did he come in out of shape and not ready to contribute at the NFL level, but you also probably, from what it seems like, knew that this was hanging over his head as well and didn't seem to care about it. So it's a weird story to come out at this time. I'm surprised this is the first we're hearing of it. And I, I mean, it's, it certainly seems like Jackson Carmen's days could be numbered here in Cincinnati. I don't think they are, though. I, I honestly don't, unless he shows up. And I think I think it's still going to be performance based. Um, but but that's but that's just as much of a problem right now as anything. Oh, agreed, agreed. I, I do think this. I think the Volson pick is made with with a with an insurance policy in mind of if this cat shows up and decides he's not going to be a professional play, we are going to be done with it. I mean, there, there's no further messing around with this cat. We'll just, we'll just send him on his merry way. And so I do think that part of that pick is with that in mind. It's weird because everyone had kind of given them a pass on the Joe Mixon selection from years ago and said, you know what? The Bengals maybe did the right thing there. Maybe they really vetted that guy properly and he turned out to be who he said he was and all that type of stuff. And it's all worked out really well. Then you follow it up with something like this. It's just not a really good look for the organization. I got to be honest. No, but I, I think their stance would be if they do make a public stance is there is no police report on it. So hence, we we have to go with a guy who's not been charged criminally with anything. I think that's their stance on it. Yeah, I mean, didn't he kind of admit to statutory rape at, in the best case scenario? I well, mean, the story says he did, but Jackson Carmen isn't officially quoted as saying he did. So again, you go back to the whole... He's, and I'm not denouncing this story by any stretch. I don't, don't, don't take that for what it is. And my point of this whole thing is even, even if you come to the point of saying, Hey, yeah, I did have sex. Well, and that's enough. You committed statutory rape. See you later. All right, let's switch gears here. The Cincinnati Reds, they lost yeah. to the Milwaukee 18 to four on Wednesday night, dropping the record to three and 21 on the season. That's the worst 24 game start to a season for an MLB team since the 2003 Detroit Tigers also started three and 21. Skinny, 
What else do you say about this team at this point? Where are we? How much worse is this going to get? I think, honestly, and I mean this sincerely from the bottom of my heart, if you are any kind of a Reds fan, I think you have to root for this to be the, as, as flaming of a disaster as it's turning out to be. Totally agree. I don't know what that signifies or what that will do, but I, I think this is the only way you can maybe hope for change to be enacted, whatever change that might be, and that might even be hopefully the owner getting out from under and selling it to somebody else uh, that, that, that wants to treat this ball club in the city and its fan base correctly. Um, that's the only thing I can hope of. Rick, not only are they are they three and twenty one, they, they've been outscored by a differential of eighty four runs. Twenty four games into the season, Rick, that's three point five runs for three point four runs per game. Most major league baseball teams, winners or losers, it's about a one run per game differential either way, right? Right. That's kind of what this game's all about is a lot of one-run games, and when all the push comes to shove, it's pretty much a one-run differential over the whole season. For a lot of teams, hell, it's a half-a-run differential a lot of times. We're talking three-plus runs per game, not in a three-game sample, but in a 24-game sample. That's damn big, man. Well, and what really stunk for me while I was on my honeymoon is I missed an entire week of being able to fade the Reds. Uh, against the the run line which they have the worst record against the spread in MLB 6 and 18 against the spread but skinny they have the best record against the over 14 9 and 1 right now against the over on the season so uh, there is a fun way to watch this Reds team right now and it is exactly what you just laid out you hope for them to be the biggest dumpster fire possible just to continue to embarrass the Castellinis and put more pressure on them. And you also just fade them in every game. And it's the best of both worlds. You're winning bets. You're making fun of the murderers row that they're running out there with Brandon Drury and Tyler Naquin. And I mean, seriously, look at the middle of their lineup on most nights in these games. It's unbelievable to see the guys that they're throwing out there. It truly is, and that now everybody's winding up on the COVID list or the DL list. I'm calling in sick because I don't feel like coming into work list. I mean, how, how I many times has Nick Senzel had COVID now? This is like the third time at least, right? I think actually technically it's on the second time he's been on the list officially, but I think it is the third time he's had it. Yes, I I, th- I, I really think he's 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 missed games three different times over the last two years for COVID. Yeah, and, and 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 now you're at the stage of I, I'm done with ninety percent of these guys on this roster. I, I, you, you, you can't really, really who who is sticking around right now that you care about Stevenson, Stevenson, Lodolo, India, and Hunter Green. Whenever he might pitch again, and throws and that's about it. If he ever does, yeah, it might yeah. be a, the wrong time to say this because Mike Mustakis actually had a good game the other night. He did. But he looks so out of shape and not like an athlete. It's incredible. Well, but so so does Rowdy Telez, and he knocked in eight runs against the Reds last night. Yeah, you know the difference is. Mike Moustakis ain't knocking in eight runs against anybody. That's a good point, too. Well, they're not scoring eight runs against anybody, let alone one guy knocking in eight. I just love their, their pitching staff has not had a – it's now 24 straight games, which is continuing to add on to a big league record. Uh, 24 straight games to start a season without a single pitcher going at least six innings. The The starter's ERA is in the high eights now. I, you can't even try to be this bad. You really can't. Well, Kent Merker said that exact thing. He said you would oh, – even if you went out and tried to lose 21 out of 24, it's hard to do in Major League Baseball. It is. It really is. I mean, it, it is stunning. And I guess the the pitching is the one thing that we talked about coming into the season where we were like, you know, there's a little bit of an intrigue there with the young guys and th- there might be enough returning talent from last year that even with 
a couple of the, the guys that they lost, they could still be able to put together a decent starting rotation, and that just hasn't been the case at all. No, you you are close to getting. Looks like Castillo comes back Monday. Lodolo, I I truly believe the the, the IL move for him was was because they were going to skip a start for him anyway to try to keep the innings low. And so you know you need a roster spot, might as well stash him for ten days when you're not going to use him for ten days. So I'm not overly concerned there. I am concerned about Hunter Green and the velocity dip. I really, I mean, you have to be a little bit. Um, so Lodolo, we'll get a chance to see back this weekend. Maybe that helps. Where's Mike Miner? How's that seven and a half mil working out? Seriously. <laughs> Wait, where's Donovan Solano? Whatever became of him? Money well spent. I mean, because, well, because, I mean, they weren't in a rebuild skinny. They were just aligning right. their, their payroll to their resources and uh, so, making the so, team better. So, so Rick, in all seriousness, and this is this is the, the hard part. This is why I it's hard to even get angry anymore. I, I, I look at it more for the comedy effect and, again, for what I hope to be the complete dumpster fire effect. And I would hope Reds fans would too at this point. Who's the fall guy right now? And that's the problem. There really isn't one. You know me. I don't like David Bell as a manager. I never have. I don't think he's very good. But it's, this is not his, his fault. No. Uh, what? In all seriousness, though, with him, what do you think he's doing each night when he fills out that lineup card to run it out there? Do you think he, like, giggles a little bit or just, like, rolls his <laughs> eyes at it? I mean, when he puts those names on the lineup card, knowing he has no chance of winning, what do you think he is thinking? Well, don't forget, he had... He, he had Naquin and Senzel in the official lineup yesterday before around six something last night or six o'clock last night. They said, oh, wait, they're going to have to go on the COVID list. He literally had one extra player. They had to call two dudes up from Louisville who played earlier in the day, I think at Indianapolis, to hightail it to Milwaukee to be on the bench for some point of that game last night. I mean, what a farce. I, I mean, listen to this lineup that they rolled out there against the Brewers last night when they lost 18 to 4. TJ Friedel, Brandon Drury. Rie guy. Tommy Pham. Uh, Mike Moustakis. Yeah, and Colin Moran. I'll just stop there at the first five. Those are your first five hitters in a major league lineup right now. Yeah. Tommy yeah. Pham, Mike Moustakis, Colin Moran. And you know what pitchers are doing? They're just throwing fastballs up in the zone. So much so that Tommy Pham actually hit one out of the park the other night just because it was like the ninth straight fastball belt high that he had seen. I, I joked in the media room the other night while we were watching the draft and had a little downtime that if you drop this team in AAA that they wouldn't finish above 500. And, I, and I, I'm sincere in that that meaning. I, I don't think they would finish over 500 in AAA. That's a legit question. Someone asked me, and it turned out he actually wasn't a GCL guy, but someone asked me today for asking me anything if uh, I thought that the St. X JV team could beat the Reds. And <laughs> I was like, oh, that's a very GCL thing to ask. And the guy's like, I'm not from... I, I, I will say, I, I, I broadcast a game the other day where a pitcher for Milford was hitting 88 on the gun and a kid from Lebanon was hitting 92, and I'm not so sure both those couldn't be in the Reds' rotation right now. Well, they couldn't do any worse, that's for sure. Couldn't do any worse, that's a fact. It, and again, that's where I go back to, so who do we scapegoat for this? Because someone's going to have to pay the price for this, right? Yeah, uh, but I mean, firing David Bell anything? does absolutely nothing. No, right, Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I you could say Nick Crawl because he made the moves, and okay, and and I I, I even said at the time if they if they think this is what's going to make the team better, I'm going to hold those accountable who believe they're making the team better. And I guess that guy's Nick Crawl, but obviously the one the people that need to be fired is ownership, and they're not going to fire themselves. So that's the part I think is most distressing as a Reds fan. It's usually easy to go, well, if we just replace the manager and if we get a new GM, yeah, and and you still have this crappy ownership group. Well, and the worst part about it, Skinny, is. What's the roadmap to get out of this hole? 
What they is the plan? Exactly. Because if they would have stuck to just blowing it all up and getting rid of anything of value and just really going with a double A team this year, we could have at least seen the vision. You could have sold it as here's what we're doing. We slashed payroll in a big, but they didn't. This team still costs a decent amount of money to put together. They went out and spent that extra money after they dumped payroll during the offseason because, as you alluded to many times, and I think you're dead on, they got worried. When fans started complaining and chirping at them, they said, oh, abandon this plan. We can't do it. Go, go sign a couple more guys and make this thing look a little more respectable. Make it look like we're going to try to compete this year, even though we're not. And now you're just stuck with this slop. Yeah, and, and with no real hopes for the future. I mean, we keep hearing about these guys coming up from the minor leagues. Um I don't th- go go look at their triple A team. It's a it's a joke. Yeah. Well, I mean, I do you, do you think this team is going to set the record 121 losses this year? I I don't, but I do think they're going to lose somewhere in the hundreds. It's just hard to imagine them catching fire or getting hot at any point with this. Uh, I do think yeah, I do. I, I will say you, you get Castillo back. It gives you at least a front end guy in the rotation. I think Malley will pitch better. Um, I think, you know, you can't have this complete run of bad luck with injuries and guys with COVID all the, the whole season. So, and, and I think some of it is just, it's literally the 162 games. Eventually you run into enough wins where you look up and a bad team even has 50. I mean, that, that's the old saying in this game is, the worst team wins 50, the best team loses 50, and then whatever you do in the middle 60, that that's where your record goes. So, yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll I think that's the number. 50 is the number. So, 50 and 112. Well, and they really are just missing Nick Senzel. You're right. They got to get him back from the DL because oh, Lord yeah. knows he's been a difference maker over the last however many years since he came up. All right. So, Rick, if they lose today, we're doing this on Thursday morning, they play this afternoon against Milwaukee, they would be 3 and 22. If. If they played 500 ball the rest of the way or thereabouts, that would put them right at 70 wins. Think about that. They would have to play 500. This this collection of bums would have to play 500 the rest of the way to get to 70, just to get to 70 wins. I don't see that happening. I don't either. <laughs> they, they might be closer to setting records than we realize. Maybe. I just think the even out process will eventually have, and it may even come this weekend when they get a chance to play an equally awful franchise in Pittsburgh. If we come out of that what? that series this weekend with still sitting on three wins, then we can talk about 120 L's. I'm betting every single one of those games. I can't wait to watch this disaster of a baseball weekend. By the way, Rick, I'm kind of blaming you for this, and here's why. You know, you got married on Saturday the 23rd. On that night, the Reds ran their losing streak to 11 games. I'm going to guess you you left for your honeymoon the next morning, correct, on that no, Sunday? We waited till Monday. Oh, you did? So you did see the Sunday win then? No, I didn't see it. I didn't watch a second of it. Okay. So so they went on Sunday. You go on your honeymoon. They haven't won since you went on your honeymoon. So it's on you. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, Xavier was nice enough to put things on hold and wait to get a commitment until I got back on Monday. That's right. I, I thought the Reds were maybe doing the same thing, but they really didn't start winning once I got back either. So No, I, they I wanted to wait till you me. got back and were able to go to a game and go to the ballpark. That's what they're waiting for, Rick, for you to go to the ballpark this weekend to see them play the lowly Pirates. Well, you know, I did mention to uh, my, my guy Dan the other night, I said, I, I said I would not go to the stadium this year, but I gotta be honest. I think I might try to go to a game and get some diamond seats at some point. Like, this is probably going to be the best well, chance to score some diamond seats from somebody and and go to a game. So I, I might do that this year at some point. I, I saw some online the other day for 92 bucks. 
I got to imagine we probably know somebody that's going to be giving them away at some point. Good. Well, I do have a friend with season tickets. I'm going to hit him up at some point and then be able to pick my seat wherever I want to want to do. I, I did have uh, somebody suggested to Mo Egger uh, on the air the other day, our friend Mo Egger on ESPN 1530, that he should should go to a game and see how many different seats he can sit in over the course of a game. Pretty good content. I would, <laughs> I would watch that. Uh, Mo's probably best tweets are him at the ballpark doing stuff. Like when he did the uh, cup snake thing yes, all the gr- yes. like whenever Mo's at the ballpark creating content it usually ends up being pretty funny so i'm all in on mo switching seats as many times as possible during that'd the game. be great all right let's move on there's some good college basketball stuff to talk about from yeah. this week cincinnati made a big splash in the transfer portal when they landed memphis wing landers nolly the six foot seven transfer averaged 9.8 points 3.9 rebounds and 2.8 assists last season for memphis he still has two years of eligibility remaining and takes up Cincinnati's final open scholarship. What do you think about Landers Nolly moving from Memphis to Cincinnati within the AAC, Skinny? I don't think he's a difference maker, but you know, he's a he's a double he's a ten and ten and six guy, maybe a twelve and seven guy this coming year. And, and but, those but guys I mean, don't those skinny. guys aren't those guys don't come easy. So yeah, I, yeah. it's a nice on, pickup. On that team, I think that is a difference yeah, maker. Yeah. How many guys do they have that you can say he can score double digits, average double digits? Yeah. That part's that part's fair, I guess. I mean, you add you add him and, and Rob Finnessy um, to the mix. I, I listen. Neither are big difference makers in my opinion, but I think they're upgrades. I think that's a difference to me. Man, I I don't know. I think this Landers Nolly move is really big. This guy averaged 15 points a game at Virginia Tech as a freshman when he was all ACC. Yeah, but he then he has... went backwards, which, which that, that that kind of stunned me. It's gone. It's gone. I don't want to say downhill. That's not fair. But but the the numbers have decreased each year. Yeah, but I, he he went to Memphis. To and yeah, he, I know. It, Product system. Yeah, it's a different system they're running, and, and Penny's a little bit weird. And by the way, Penny had a bunch of other talented dudes around him. No, so They I weren't going to make him yeah. the guy there. Yeah, um, at fair. Cincinnati, I'm not so sure he's not their most talented offensive player coming into this year. Yeah, maybe. He's 6'7". He can shoot from the outside. He can create a little bit off the dribble. He'll get into the mid-range. He'll, he'll be around the basket and, and get a stick back or two with some athleticism. I mean, he is... Kind of what Cincinnati wanted Jeremiah Davenport to be, if we're being honest. Well, and, and again, you're still going to get some decent production out of Jeremiah Davenport. So this guy's kind of a little upgrade to that. Again, I'm not crapping on this. Don't, don't I, maybe I'm sounding that way. I'm not. Again, when I think difference maker, I'm talking about. Oh my gosh, a guy who averaged 20 points a game at UTEP. Oh wait a minute, we'll talk about that guy in a minute. But, I mean, that, that's the potential difference maker. I, I think he's a really good player and an upgrade. And that's, I think all you can ask for is they've, they've literally in the transfer portal landed two starters, him and Rob Finnessy. That's fine. That's great. Yeah. I, I, to me, there's a big gap between those two guys. Like I think, I, I think Rob Finnessy is just a guy, you know I mean? I think he can, he can be a starting point guard at UC, but and that, I, he's an upgrade I, over Mikey Saunders. Without question, without question. But I don't know that he's much of a difference maker. I don't know that he raises your he ceiling much. But, I think but if we go, he, Landers Nolly does for this team, I think. Because they need scoring so bad, yeah. and Landers Nolly legitimately might be there. It's between him or David DeJulius. Those yeah. are those yeah. are their two best scorers coming into this year. So, I mean, I, th- I think this is a big deal. Um, but the Bearcats, that wasn't the only big piece of news for their basketball program. They also landed a huge recruit in the 2023 class. So, we won't be on this year's roster, but the local product, Rayvon Griffith from Taft High School, Top recruit in the state of Ohio for the 2023 class. He's ranked 47th overall nationally. Announced that he will be going to UC next year. How big is this from a recruiting perspective for Wes Miller, Skinny? 
Yeah, I, I saw him as a freshman, and, and so I, that's this is probably not fair. I've not seen him the last two years. I, I, I thought he was really a talented kid, but I was kind of meh on him then. Um, but I, I think this is important for a lot of reasons. I mean, he is a four-star recruit. He is a top recruit in Ohio in his class. You can't let that guy get out of your city. And whether he turns out to be a great player or not, um, you can't let that kind of guy get out of your city. He played on a state championship team. Um, that I don't think you can discount that fact. And, and, and uh, he played a role on that team. It wasn't just they just rolled the balls out and went. They guarded people. Um, you go look at their postseason scores. They won a bunch of games in the in the 50s and in low 60s and had to sit down and guard. And so he had to be part of that. Um, he's not a... Uh, um, he's not a gunner. Um, he shoots it okay from the perimeter. I think he shot 38% from three last year, which is not not great by high school standards for, for a knockdown shooter, you think, in college. But I think it's good enough to make him dangerous. So, yeah, I think that's the big part for me is where he's rated in his class, the fact he's a local kid, you can't let that guy get out of your city. And so good for him that he didn't. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. It's It's a big win from the standpoint of, Everyone knows who he is, and it looks really good for your program that you're keeping We've him. We've known here. him since he was a sixth grader. Yeah, he's yeah, been a big name nationally. Right, right. Yeah, and and, and he, you're actually right. I mean, over the last two years, he has dropped. I mean, he was a top, I think, 10 or 15 recruit as like a freshman in high school, which what does that really mean? But right. he has dropped to being a top 50 recruit at this point, and rightfully so. I honestly, last year, I didn't think he was top 50 at all. This year, he has played a little bit better, and the biggest difference to me is what you talked about, which is he's been shooting the ball pretty well from three, even this spring. I mean, not lights out, but he has shown the ability to knock the open three down a little bit more frequently. I think you got to put him in the right system, and you got to know how to use him. I, That's I don't what think... I'm trying to figure out: is is he a three? Is he a two? Is he a stretch four? Even though he's six seven, I mean, what is he? Yeah, and he's a guy that I think can be productive as a slasher, and a guy that if you know how to keep him involved in offense, he can produce for you. But I don't think he's a guy that you can just throw the ball to him and and let him create offense. Yeah, I don't That's think not so his skill set. No, I, I don't think so either. But I go back to um, he's played in structure. Um, I think he gets that part of it. Um, I, you know, look at his numbers. He's 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 not a I hate to use the, the old the old man term ball hog. I mean, he seems like he is more than willing to set others up when he needs to set others up and let them score. So I think he will fit into a system, and I think that's a good thing. I think sometimes you get a lot of these guys who maybe don't because they are so ball dependent. So I, I think that's a good part too to yeah. his game. I think he needs the structure and system. And, and yeah. on the flip side of that, I think from Wes Miller's perspective, he wants versatile athletes on the defensive end that can be disruptive. And if you get Rayvon to buy in on that end, I think he could be very good as a defender because he's got length and athleticism and all of that. And he's probably best if you can get him running up and down the court in transition a little bit. So I'm anxious to see how that one plays out. But I think Landers Nolly might be a more important recruit for Wes Miller from a standpoint of winning basketball games over the next couple of years. Rayvon Griffith is big from uh, getting yourself established from a recruiting perspective around this region. That's right. And that's why it's important. You can't let that guy out of the city. And then on the other side of town, Xavier finally landed a transfer out of the portal in UTEP's Sule Boom. He announced that he'll be joining the Musketeers next year, his sixth in college. Boom's a six foot three combo guard who won the Conference USA scoring title last year while averaging 19.8 points per game to go along with 4.5 rebounds, 2.9 assists. 1.8 1.8 steals and two turnovers in just over 36 minutes. Skinny, what do you make of Xavier's newest addition? No, we see guys in the past. I'm going to draw a blank on the kid from Sacred Heart that went to UC that was a big score, and then it didn't didn't quite work out for him. And we've seen it with Xavier. They took took a kid from uh, my gosh, where was it up east uh, a few years ago? It was a big score, and it didn't quite work out. 
But you are taking a guy from, you know, the, the Sun Belt is not a major, major or conference USA or whatever the hell UTEP's in. It's not a Power 5 conference or one of the upper echelons, but it's still a good conference. It's still pretty high-level Division One basketball, and I don't think you need him to score 19 a game, but it is a score um, who can come in and provide instant scoring for you. So I think it's a, I think it's a big get for Xavier. Yeah, Kane Broom was the sacred heart you. kid. Yes. I'm, yes, I'm not sure. You. Were you talking about Nate Johnson for Xavier? or from No, nah, it was a few years. It was, it was a, he, was a, he, was a, he was a forward and averaged like a double-double somewhere and came in and didn't quite – I'm drawing it. Was, it okay. was there a Taylor? Am I drawing a blank on a Taylor? Uh there were, oh, are you talking about from uh, Monmouth, Travis Taylor? Yes, yes. Oh, yes. well, he had a pretty productive junior yeah. senior season, but uh, yeah, he was okay. Yeah, but with Sule Boom, it's uh, I think there he could be like a Nate Johnson level type player, and I don't think he's exactly the same. He's more of a creator and a guy that can do stuff off the bounce. He draws a ton of fouls. I I actually did an interview with one of Xavier's new assistants. And he shoots coaches. it well from the line too, doesn't he? Yeah, he shoots it really well from the free throw line. Um, yeah. and, he sh- and he shoots it well from the outside, too. He actually shoots pretty well off the dribble, better off the dribble than he does off the catch. But I was talking to David Miller, one of Xavier's new assistants, yesterday for a podcast that you, you can find on musketeerreport.com right now. And he was talking about how they think putting him around better players, he'll actually show off some more ability to create and make plays for his teammates. And I think, more than likely, given the state of Xavier's roster and Dwan Odom transferring to Georgia State, he's probably going to start at the point guard for them. And he's played on and off the ball at UTEP. So I think they're expecting him to be a little bit more of a ball handler and creator than he's been in the past where he's been mostly a scorer. Uh, but I think it's a good fit. And it's, it's the type of guy they needed because they needed a guy who can handle the ball and has some experience as a point guard. They also needed a guy who can shoot from the outside because they just don't have enough shooting. And they lost Paul Scruggs and Nate Johnson after last season on a team that didn't have enough shooting. So I think it's a, it's a good get from that perspective, but also, like you mentioned, I mean, we've seen these other guys come down from those levels. Ben Stanley averaged like 19 a game when he transferred into Xavier. So it, it, he's not going to play that type of role at Xavier. He's going to be more of a role guy. But could he be similar to Nate Johnson, a guy who scores around 10 a game for you and, and starts? Absolutely. I think he could do that. Yep. Yeah. All right, Skinny. The 148th running of the Kentucky Derby will be held this Saturday, May 7th. The post time is 6.57 p.m. Zandon is currently the favorite at 3-1 to one odds. This will be our betting segment for the day. Do you have any Kentucky Derby takes for us? Yeah, I got, I'll give I'll give three out. Um, I'll probably, I usually try to construct a pick four coming back to this race that, that goes about four or five deep, and, and then I'll bet I'll bet some some tries and exactas and, and whatnot. Um, I'll give three. I, I and, and what I'm going to be not at a very big price, but it is the second choice epicenter. I, I think he's seven to two in the morning line. Um, I I just think he's the horse to beat. I mean, he's got a win over the track. He's got tactical speed. He's got class. He's got good experience. Um, and it, honestly, if you were to get me a, a Monday ten thousand dollar claiming race with a seven to two price on a horse that I really like, I go. I'll I'll steal it. You know, in the Derby though, you're always searching for price because there's so many horses. You can get price, but he's my top choice. Um, you and I actually talked a little bit. I, I like I like Taiba um, as well. Um, you know, Twelve to one on the morning line. He cost one point seven mil for purchase. Um, won the Santa Anita Derby. Really, I watched that race in impressive fashion. I uh, I was really impressed with the way he won that race. I, I think ten to one maybe is what you could get, but right now twelve to one morning line. And for a long shot, I like Charge it. Um, he he was flying down the stretch in the in the Florida Derby. Came up a little bit short. Um, I think there's enough speed in this race to set something up for for a closer. 
Um, I like him, and I like Mo Donegal, too, at 10 to 1. So I'll give out four horses. Um, Mo Donegal um, came like a freight train as well, and the Wood Memorial came up just a hair short uh, there. And I, I just think if you want to get some some a little bit of prices underneath it, charge it's 20 to 1, Mo Donegal's 10 to 1, Taiba's 12 to 1, and Epicenter 7 to 2. I think maybe I'll just box those up in the, in the exacta for about 5 bucks, 10 bucks, something like that, and hope to catch uh, two of them in the prices and get about a – $200 exact for $2 and, and walk away with about a grand or so. How about that? I like it. Uh, I take it you have not put in any bets yet, it seems like. No, I, I usually wait till day of. Because um, okay. I usually, the, the way I play, in fact, I've got money in my account. I usually start on Thursday of Derby weekend, play Thursdays because there's a couple of good stakes races today. Uh, tomorrow, I love Oaks Day. I always love that card because there's about five or six stakes races. And I'm a big pick three, pick four player. Um, and so sometimes you need to say, see how the track turns up that day. Um, sometimes you know the scratch board works, all those things. So I kind of wait until day of to to make the wager. But those are some of that I've I've eyed early on. Yeah, my my only take. You you're calling Taiba. I've heard of Taiba as well. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. It's T A I B A. Yeah. Yes. Um, that is a former Bob Baffert horse that he sold off to this Yachtine guy. Tim Yachtine. Yes. Yeah. To me, uh, if you're not betting on Baffert horses previously, you're an idiot. You're just not watching the Derby. That's he always wins and his horses are, it's been proven that they were all drugged. So who knows what this Taiba has floating around in its uh, hindquarters right now. I'm, I'm definitely betting on him. No, I, I see where I'm betting on him for different reasons. I like, I like your logic better than my logic. Yeah. Well, I like the fact that you won the Santa Anita Derby too, but if you can give me a horse that seems like he has a chance, plus he used to be a Bob Baffert horse. That's the guy. Messier, yeah, yeah. too, a guy that's a, a horse that's in here that used to be a Baffert horse. But Taiba seems to be the one that has a, a legit shot to win. So that's who I'm going to be rolling with. Yeah, I, I, I liked Messier going in the San Diego Derby. He did not run great that day. And I'm, I'm going to kind of, and I, I, I hate to do this because, you know, you can do that with any horse and just look. I, I, he just didn't come away. I don't know if he makes the distance. I just don't. All right. Well, that was talking horse racing here on the Skinny Podcast. Let's get into some Ask Skinny Anything where we've got a couple of questions to get into today. We'll start with, uh, could the shortened season 2020 Reds walk away with more wins than the 2022 Reds? 30, what would they win, 31? I'm looking it up. I'm trying to look it up right now. Uh, they were 31 and 29. I'm going to say yes, they will win more than 31. You know the running gag right now about the Reds is, don't you? FC Cincinnati thing. Well, there's that one, and there's also this one. The Bengals have more wins in the 2022 uh, calendar year than the Bank than the Reds do. Yeah, I did. I did see that as well. And by the way, FCC has four wins. They're four and five now, so they were the first team to get four wins between them and the Reds, which is just absurd to say. Uh, someone asked, "Which local team are you most excited about right now, Skinny FC Cincinnati or the Reds?" Uh, can I can I say neither? Natural disaster. Yeah, can I say neither? Am I allowed to say neither? You can say neither. I knew that would be your answer. Uh, but, I mean, hey, you, you got to be somewhat impressed with the way FCC has turned this thing around because last time, uh, or really all of last year, we were talking about, are they ever going to win another game in the history of their franchise? And now they seem no, to be we like a fairly No, we were talking about they were going to score a goal. Team. Yo, no, we that's true. Goal. You were, you were Mr. Under last year on yeah. that. Under, under one goal or under a half goal every game. Yeah. Yep. yep. That was great. Um, all right. The commissioner of the West Coast Conference, former XU player Brian Thornton, has come up with an innovative scheduling idea for college basketball. The pitch has been sent to the 26 leads outside of the six biggest conferences, which would include the ACC, Big 12, Big East, 
Big Ten, Pac-12, and SEC. And it essentially calls for the teams in those conferences to agree to play two non-conference games against like competition just a few weeks before Selection Sunday. So in other words, if you're an A-10 team currently sitting as a quad one, you'll get matched up against another quad one opponent just a couple weeks before Selection Sunday, take a break from your, your A-10 conference schedule. What do you think of this scheduling idea, Skinny? I, there's two things involved here. I did not know this was Brian Thornton's idea, and I did, I did not know Brian Thornton was commissioner of the West Coast Conference. Yeah, he was the the like second in line at the AAC two years ago, and then he moved on to the West Coast good, Conference. Good, good for him for num- number one, and I do know of this story. I just didn't know he was the man involved with it. Um, I think it's brilliant. You know, I I, I know you're not going to disrupt those those big six conference conference schedules, um, and, and a lot of those those are quad ones versus quad ones anyway. So they, they don't need that. But I think for these other schools, I think it's brilliant. I think it's great. I think it gives us kind of an NCAA tournament feel in some games before we get to the NCAA tournament for some lesser leagues. And it gives them all a chance to get an extra quad one win along the way. I, I think it's a great thing. I, I, I don't even know what the drawback to this would be. I, I can't think. The only one I can think of is if you are, I don't know, maybe, maybe a team that's like borderline top 25 at, at this level which means you're probably got a resume that says you're going to be in the tournament, but you may right. only you may only have a couple of quad one, quad two games on your resume, so it might be somewhat flimsy in terms of your strength of schedule. If you go and you then lose right. two high-level games, maybe that puts you back on the bubble, and otherwise you wouldn't have been. So that's really the only drawback I can see for one of these teams, but the, the upside is huge because most of the time, if you're one of these types of teams, you need another quality game to add to your resume if nothing else just for the strength of schedule aspect of it so it helps you there it puts you in the national spotlight it's unbelievable for recruiting it's unbelievable for the game as a whole to get people interested in this level of the sport and some of the teams that aren't just you know the sec and the big 10 and the right. biggies and what have you and by the way you can create so much money around i mean think you can do a selection sunday type show for this event with their where they're figuring out the algorithm and then they're releasing the matchups because there's not going to be any humans involved in making the matchups. It's going to be done by a computer that just says, you play you, and you'll be on the road, and then your second game will be at home, whoever you play in the second game. And it's like every team gets one home game, one away game, and it's all equal. There's no one no one sitting in a, a tower going, okay, we want to match these two teams up. It's not like the Gavit games or something like that where they're going to say, oh, Michigan State never has to go play anybody. It's just going to be done by a computer. No, and I think it energizes some fan bases at that time of year. I mean, and I'll use the West Coast Conference as an example. Perfect. I mean, the, the San Francisco fans care that San Diego's coming up the coast to, to play a meaningless WCC game that you're going to roll them. Yeah, does Gonzaga fans care about any game that they play during conference? But yeah, but, but Gonzaga's probably not going to need need this, though. But my point is, somebody along the, those lines of a San Francisco, would you be more juiced for a Dayton coming in for a game that could matter to make you make the NCAA tournament? I know it would make me juiced. No, but, I mean, Gonzaga might not need this. But if, if their conference is doing it, and now all of a sudden, right before Selection Sunday, instead of seeing Gonzaga beat who you know San Diego or whoever by 30, we get to see them play another quad one game right before the tournament yeah. when everyone's usually saying, Gonzaga yeah. doesn't play anybody. They don't no. deserve it. Instead, we yeah. can watch them play back-to-back quad one games. That'd no, be phenomenal. I'm, that's what I'm saying. I, I don't find a drawback to any of it. I, I don't. And that's where, for you know, initially when I'm reading through it, I'm like, boy, I don't know how this is going to go in the Big Ten SEC and all this. And then I read the next graph as I'm reading, as I'm, 
juggling that in my mind of this will not affect the major conferences. They'll still have their, and I thought, yeah, okay, that makes sense then. Then I don't, I don't find a drawback with this. Yeah. And I mean, the big conferences, one, they don't have enough flexibility within their conference schedules. They're playing 20 games. And they've all played enough quad one game. So it's, they're good. Right. And also they're not going to agree to it because they don't need a harder schedule that could right. potentially put them no, right. closer to the bubble or something and get picked up a couple extra losses. So yeah, it doesn't really make sense for them, but for all these other conferences, I can't think of anything that's, that would do more to energize the college basketball game as a whole that I've heard of. I mean, this is a fantastic idea. It, Brian Thornton was the one who came up with it. He's also working with the the guy at Michigan State, Michigan who's State. like their Mario Mercurio. Yeah. He's like, yeah. uh, he helps everybody out with their schedules throughout the year. He's a, yeah, he's a scheduling genius, apparently. Yeah, he's got all. He's the guy who came up with the KPI and yep. all of that. So he's a big analytics metrics guy, and he's kind of the brains behind, I guess, the the algorithm that they're going to use. So I, I think this is an awesome idea, and I figured you would be behind it as well. All yeah, right. I think it's great. I, yeah, I, like I said, I, I, somebody needs to tell me a drawback. That's all. Yeah, I, I can't think of one either. Um, we've got one about – someone says they've got a driving etiquette question for you, Skinny. Yes. He says, if I'm in the fast lane driving 80 in a 65, am I obligated to get out of the way for someone who wants to go 90? You're not obligated, in my opinion, but I would, and then I'd give them the middle finger like you got to – I usually, when that happens to me and I move over, I just usually roll down the window and yell clown show. They don't hear me probably because they're going so fast, but that's my that's my go-to line, clown show. I, I do think you're obligated. You're going 15 over the speed limit. I've done that where I'm passing somebody, and you know, you're you're going 80, and you're, you've got like a line of like six or eight cars to pass, and you know you're probably speeding too, and you're like – Boy, I just hope there's not a cop up ahead. I'm just trying to get around this traffic and pull over. And there's Johnny right on your ass wanting to go 95 to 100. And I almost want to, I almost at that point want to brake check him. I don't because I don't feel like getting rear-ended. So, no, you're not obligated. I do think it's the right thing to do. You let them be the ass clown. You don't have to be the, you know, you don't have to be the guy stopping them. Let them go, let them go crack up on their own. Yeah, I mean, the the thing about this that he clarifies, which is important, is that he's going 15 over the speed limit. No, he's going understood. 80 and a 65, which, like, if you had just said, am I obligated to get over? It's like, yeah, get the hell out of my way. I hate when people are in the slow lane driving the speed limit. But I will say, if you're if you're going 15 over, if someone really wants to break the law to the point of going, you know, 25, 30, 40 over, that, I think they should have to work for it. Like, I'm not getting out of your way so you can go 100 miles an hour. Yeah. I'm not kidding you. Last night I was driving back from broadcasting the game up at Cincinnati Hills Christian Academy. So I was on 275 um, coming back to my house in Northern Kentucky. And I was probably around the Newtown exit, I guess. And I was in the middle lane doing like 75-ish. Maybe I usually go 75. I'm, I, I try to lock it. If, I, if there's not a ton of traffic, I'll just put it on 74 on cruise. And, and as long as I can maintain that speed, I'm good to go. I saw a guy coming in my rearview mirror down the fast lane. He came and went so fast. I was going to call the police on him because it was literally dangerous. He and I'm not exaggerating. He had to be going 140 miles an hour. <laughs> Let's see. I'm not exaggerating. That's dangerous. Yeah, well, I I think I might have told you this before, but you know the overpass that go uh, 275 that goes over 3L Highway yeah. down there oh, by yeah. like the Walmart and everything. I once saw a guy and was probably doing something similar about 125, 140 miles an hour coming down and I don't know if he clipped the car in front of him or he just overcorrected too quick, but I was coming East and he was coming West and all of a sudden you just see him start to like swerve briefly. And then he just immediately starts flipping and he flips right up to the, the edge over that overpass. His car teeters on it for a second, like on its, its uh, top and then falls off. Did he and die, hopefully? The guy did not die somehow. They said it landed on its tires, 
like immediately popped and everything. You heard a loud like boom, and then the car flipped over on its top. But because it had landed on its tires first, I guess it gave it enough of a an you know cushion to the impact that he was able to survive it. And it was, I mean, it was a frightening thing. Everyone just stopped right there in the middle of two seventy five, got out and looked, and what people were calling the. I'll never forget. There's this one. There's always someone who takes charge in those situations. You know, they're like. Oh, yeah. They're a nurse or something, so they just got to get. And so, like, she was. There's probably a hundred people out of their cars, and this lady's screaming at everyone, telling them what to do. And it's like, a lady. I mean, you don't. No offense, but we don't work for you. Like, we're not doing anything. We're just getting our cars and leaving. The, the get me some bandages. Go boil some water. Yeah, I mean, she was yelling at everyone, like giving them instructions, and like you need Who's to call so and so. It's like, lady, the nine one one's on their way. Everyone, the authorities have been called, and we're not doing anything. Just stand here and watch or leave. One of the two. Yeah, that's... I think I'd have, I think I'd have even walked up to that guy, no matter how hurt he was, and go, "You are a blanking idiot." <laughs> Give him some room. No, no, actually, he needs to hear this. Yes, you he are does. an idiot, sir. Idiots. Good lord. All right, Skinny. A couple of more here to wrap this one up. All about the same topic, which is really one of the the best topics we've had here in a while on this show. Reddit user, an Ohioan redditor, posted to the Cincinnati Reds subreddit that they want to poop in the bed of the promotional Toyota Tundra parked on an elevated platform near the Tri-Health Riverboat Deck at Center Field in Great American Ballpark during the May 6th game against the Pittsburgh Pirates on Friday night. One, one day from when we're recording this podcast. The post reads, quote, During the Friday May 6th game against the Pirates, I will be scaling the wall to defecate in the bed of the Toyota Tundra. If anyone can take photos of me, I'd appreciate it. Also, if anyone is down to also in the bed of the truck, meet me under the smokestacks on the top of the fourth inning. Cheers. So, as you can imagine, we got a couple questions about this. Our guy Dan says, if the guy manages to poop in the GABP outfield truck during Friday night's game, is it the greatest moment in Red's history since the Bruce walk-off? It has to qualify, doesn't it? It's arguably a more impressive athletic feat. Yeah, I mean, honestly, the scaling just to get into the bed, I don't know. Whether he crapped in the bed of it or not, I think that's a great, great, uh, great touch, mind you, for for in the in the appropriate thing to do in the case of this team. But just scaling that thing to get to the truck is an athletic feat. Well, and that brings up the question from our guy Jed Demusi. He says, "Which person would have a greater chance of completing the truck pooping mission? One, a person with elite climbing ability but average bowel control, or two, a person with elite bowel control but average climbing ability." I think he brings up a great point here. Yeah, but but you're talking about. I think you can have average bowel control, um, but you've got to have elite climbing ability. I don't think you make it if you're not a good climber. I agree, but I'll say this: if I I'm, mean, I, if I'm I doing this, though, you, you, I know in theory you could crap your pants as you're going up there. And truth be told, if I was scaling out, I probably would crap my pants. Well, see, that's not the issue for me. I just I'm not like a on-demand pooper. I'm not it's either. Not, I've got yeah. maybe one a day. It saves up in there, and I don't get to choose when it's coming out. So it's like. I, I can't imagine being able to get up there and then be like, all right, now I got to poop in front of all these people. I, I would have had you to know, maybe bag it beforehand and just drop it in. If it yeah, were you'd have to probably, you probably have to have a meal a certain amount of time out. Maybe have, have something that's going to move you, right? I mean, Taco be Bell, some, White Castle's combo right, correct, meal. Correct, correct. An so hour and a half before the game. Yeah, you got to have, you got, you got to time this right. Um, if, if, <laughs> Man, my guy Jim Kelch is calling me right during this, and it, there couldn't be a better segment for him to be calling me. <laughs> there really could. I mean, a I think the guy would probably be shot down before he got to the bed of the truck, unfortunately. But um, I guess it gives us a reason to tune in Friday, does it not? 
it certainly adds some intrigue to this pirate series. I talked about earlier that I was looking forward to betting on it, but if you could place a wager on whether or not this guy is going to be able to pull it off, whether or not there's going to be extra security by the smokestacks, like, if you're the Reds, do you take this seriously at all? Do you think they're, like, looking into it, trying to make sure this guy isn't legit? I think they probably should. It wouldn't hurt, that's for sure. I mean, can you imagine if, if you're a little kid and you're like, Dad, can I? Can we go to the pirate series this weekend? Sure, son. Oh, I want to see Overton. I want to see Lodolo. Son, I want to see the guy crap in the bed of the truck. I want to see old man Brown Eye out there in the tundra. <laughs> oh, my land. This, it, it, it certainly makes it for an intriguing Friday night at Great American Ballpark. Dan also wants to know, what do you choose? Option A, every day for the next month at some random time, unbeknownst to you, a stranger will kick you square in the crotch. Or option B, you're required to watch every pitch of the remainder of the red season sober. <laughs> Neither one of those are good options. I Even good times, I don't think I can watch the red sober. So I, I think I'll take the, the, the kick in the crotch. Man, every day for the next month, though. That's a lot. I mean... Yeah, are you allowed to wear protection here? Are we allowed to go not protection? Yeah, that's like the condom, thing. So, but cup, you know. Right, yeah. Like like yeah, the cup check kind of a thing. Yeah. Um that still stings, not gonna lie to you. Yeah, it doesn't feel good. I've taken a ground ball off that once or twice. Yeah, I just I I can't watch the red sober, I can tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe see Dan didn't give us an option C, which is don't watch the Reds at all. Yeah, I don't think I think that was the point of the question because I think yeah. everyone would have taken that option. Yeah, yeah. Don't watch the Reds at all. I think that's the key. Yeah. Great stuff. I mean, just incredible. That's all I got. All right, quick. Thanks as always. Thanks for the questions as always too. You guys never let me down with that. Never disappoint. For Rick Boring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly Pope Pre Edition, presented by Ryan Kiefer of Prime Lending.